This is Kick-Ass Politics. I'm Ben Mathis. Kick-Ass Politics is sponsored by Fiverr. You've heard me rave about Fiverr before. That's Fiverr with two R's. Fiverr is the world's largest online marketplace for services, with over 100 categories all offered at a fixed-base price of just 5 bucks. Logo design, business consulting, marketing, business cards and stationery, web design, translation, proofreading, legal consulting, and just about any other service you can imagine, all offered at a fixed base price of just 5 bucks. And right now, if you go to kickasspolitics.com and click on the Fiverr ad on our sponsor page, you'll be showing your support for the show and you'll get some great offers on services tailored to your needs. Whatever you need done, find it on Fiverr. And before we start the show, I want to ask for you, the listener's help with a special project. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be doing a listener survey to get a better idea of who our audience is. No matter how long you've been a listener or how frequently you listen to the show, we'd like to get to know you better and what you want. So I hope you'll visit our website at kickasspolitics.com and click on the listener survey link on the homepage, or there's a survey link in the show notes to this episode. It'll only take 60 seconds. We won't ask for your personal information or put you on some list. I'm not going to call you up at supper time or fill your email with spam, I promise. In fact, you can even fill out the survey anonymously if you want. It's just a few quick questions to help us understand who's listening, and seriously, it'll be a huge, huge help to me personally. Thanks in advance, folks, and now enjoy the podcast. Hi there, I'm Ben Mathis, and welcome to Kick-Ass Politics. My guest today is Mike Pesca. He's the host of The Gist, a wildly popular podcast from the folks over at Slate Magazine. And before that, he spent 15 years at NPR, where he served as national correspondent covering sports, culture, and politics. And he was the first NPR reporter to have his very own podcast way back in the early days of podcasting in 2005. Now he's the host of Slate's The Gist podcast five days a week, and he's a weekly panelist on Slate's Hang Up and Listen podcast. He's won two Edward R. Murrow Awards for Excellence in Electronic Journalism, but he's perhaps best known for his daily op-ed segment on the podcast, or as he calls it, The Spiel. Well, today, he's on my podcast to deliver one of his signature spiels on everything from the House Speaker's race and the filibuster to online gambling and his ongoing battle with Starbucks over a reduced fat turkey bacon breakfast sandwich. Coming up with Mike Pesca in just a moment. My guest today is Mike Pesca. He's host of Slate Magazine's podcast, The Gist. Mike, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. And thank you for ambushing me. I, I, <laughs> you walked into the room with your mic and your recorder on, and uh, you ambushed me and you asked me, what was the question you asked me? You're asking everyone today? I'm asking everyone if there's one systemic fix for our political dysfunction. Everyone pretty much thinks that we're in a state of dysfunction. What would your, what would your fix be? And yours was? 
Mine was uh, try harder not to be a jerk. Yeah. Now, that's an interesting question because you're the only one who, uh, by the way, I think that's good advice. And I did frame it as you could change the Constitution or just snap your fingers and be be like God and get your wish fulfilled. That probably would help things. Five out of seven people have said, though, campaign finance. People of all really? stripes. Oh, yeah. they're more serious than I am, I guess. Well, no. I think it's because, you know, I, I'm i not just asking people who are casual. I'm asking political insiders. And I think they know what when, I'm, when I ask that question, they're saying, what is the worst part of my job? And that's it, you know, yeah. trying to wrangle these donors. And both right and left have said that, you know, the solution yeah. on the right is just don't have any rules because these or I wouldn't say don't have any rules, but allow unlimited funding. But disclosure, which I think is maybe even more logical than this hodgepodge of super PACs and black money. And it's no it's no answer. Well, yeah, because isn't it kind of BS this whole thing that we're going to actually have campaign finance reform and fix the problem because you know, money's like water. And one way or another, the money's going to get to the candidate. Yeah. And I think that you could even argue that the it has gotten too far. And I know that it um, obsesses politicians and that's the majority of their job. But if you can't appeal to people who are big donors, I don't know if that's a disqualification for running for office, but it's certainly something. And it's also not the case that you can't run for office if, you know, you're not in the pocket of big business. That's, you know, that's a canard. So, yeah. yeah. And, and if you look at Canadian politics, they 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 just um, are in they they wring their hands so much about the amount of money in their politics <laughs> and the length of their it's the longest election season for a prime minister and it's like 70 something days yeah it's so fun so are canadians just complainers Com- canadian well <laughs> yeah but they can i don't know i i think the canadians are just like us only uh a little bit better and a little bit colder uh, the uh, colder you mean the people or the climate oh yeah i mean they're their actual body oh okay <laughs> two degrees celsius yeah so you didn't get any any other uh Answers other than campaign Clay, finance. Any Clay other Aiken, interesting ones? Clay Aiken, who impressed me as someone who talked huh. about issues a little better than I thought he would. Well, he did run for Congress, right? Yeah, he didn't do well. Yeah. And also <laughs> did a reality show that he uh, revealed afterwards he was doing during his run for Congress. So okay. I guess that's, I mean, I'm look. expecting Trump to do the same yeah, thing. Yeah, well, if, I mean, I think this is a, we're unwittingly in his reality show. I was going to yeah. say, if Trump's the front runner, you can't fault him for that, except he lost by a wide margin. He was running in very Republican district. But he did the campaign finance thing. But then he said, what about nonpartisan commissions to draw up every congressional district? Not a bad idea. Some Makes states sense. have it. It's not a huge fix, though. It's not a huge fix. You Really? You don't think so? I think that it was it was presented as such. If you go back a few years before um, you know, 2010, um, wow, how could the Democrats even bust through? Because they had all these stats about Democrats are winning uh presidential elections and it looks like more people would want to vote democrat but it's just the way the states are drawn and um in the new yorker there was a pretty authoritative article by jeffrey tubin saying this and then there's a wave like no matter how you draw the district then there's a wave and it sweeps it away and what we're looking at now with i think a lot of what's going on in congress and the inability to elect a speaker is because these congressional districts are drawn so much that you have all these extremely safe seats for the only challenge will come from the right is that what even the republican do you think all the republicans drawing the district are freedom caucus republicans i think they (laughs) might be saying oh my god this is a nightmare and we're the frankenstein who created the monster but gerrymandering goes on on both sides oh it's just like the campaign finance well that's why it's a decent solution they're going to take advantage of it if it's offered to them so the idea of having some kind of a nonpartisan way to figure out districts could that work 
Yeah, it does work. I mean, Iowa does it pretty oh, okay. well, and California was considering doing it, right? And it's still in the courts. I think yeah, you I don't know. They even matter in California. Well, it's very, but it, you know, <laughs> that's it's, like doing it in Alabama. Who well, cares? no, I mean, California and Texas are really important in terms yeah. of like textbooks and oh, car right. emissions. All oh, right, yeah, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> like you know, yeah. you gotta. Uh, so if you lead the way just based on consumer products, but I think that. The problem is that no one wants to do it because every party in power, no one ever says, we're in power now, but we're not going to be in power. When you're in power, yeah. you press your advantage, and also you write what you perceive as the wrongs of the past. Hey, they did it to us. We're going to do it to them. Anything that can yeah. get any either political party out of that mindset I think is a good thing. Yeah. We did it to us. They do it to them. You know, the like Even the way the use of the filibuster rule in Congress, hey, now's yeah. our turn to stick it to the other guy. And any time you could take away that incentive, it's probably true in life as well as in politics. Change the dynamic, right? I have two sons and it's always mm -hmm. there's like this long history of retribution between them i know but if you it, could ever it, just change it like hey guys we're not going to argue yeah. over the ipad we're playing outside and then yeah. you take away that thing that we're playing. yeah it's like rwanda it's like the hutus and the tutsis or you know it's like whoever's in power you know wreaks havoc on on the loser yeah and then 10 years later it's the the reverse and they and all feel themselves always... as the righteous yes <laughs> yeah. well you mentioned the speaker's race any mm -hmm. any thoughts on that whole insane situation this week well on the gist, so every day if you listen to my podcast, it's five times a day and I end with a spiel. And sometimes the spiel, five to seven minutes, it's often on politics. But earlier this week, I don't know if you saw that story with girls who were taking selfies at a baseball game. So I did, yeah. I did a version of the Field of Dreams speech about selfies <laughs> and stuff. So it can be anything. But I was talking about this, and I have to say that the Freedom Caucus, their big agenda items, I disagree with. I think the XM, ba XM Bank is fine. Like, you know, I don't think it's terribly great or terribly bad. I think it's fine. I think it probably helps people. Funding Planned Parenthood, I'm in favor of. And um, uh, what are what's what was their other huge issue? Um, I don't know. Bitcoin. No, I have no. It, it just seems <laughs> if you go down the list of the things, if you go down the list of the things they want, the agenda items, I disagree with them. Yeah. But if you try to empathize with with what they feel like. They feel like the disenfranchised people who've won elections and can't get anything done. And the reason they can't get anything done is because all these rules of the Senate. And while out of the one side of our mouth, we're saying the Senate is so dysfunctional, it's so sclerotic. But if you try to do anything to upend those rules, well, that's a, a breach of comity. That's, that's trying to change the grand Senate traditions. Philip Buster goes back to 1917. Right. It's not a it's not in the Constitution. And I totally understand. We won an election. We have the will of the people on the side. People didn't send us here to get along with either other Republicans or Democrats. They sent us here to pass an agenda. So they're trying yeah. to pass their agenda. And I empathize with that. On the other hand, this is what the media can't say. The tame stream media. I coined the phrase. <laughs> they can't say what the Freedom Party wants is wrong. I mean, maybe you think that they do, but I think in their even-handed way, they say, well, they're against the what critics of Planned Parenthood say are this, but what Planned Parenthood defends is that. They can't flat out say, you know, these Freedom Party caucus members, they want to defund Planned Parenthood, come hell or high water, and it's a bad idea because of X, Y, and Z. What they can say is there's dysfunction, there's chaos, there's... Yeah. So they could... They're like film critics or, or theater critics. <laughs> they could criticize yeah. the affect, but they stop themselves from talking about the root causes. And yeah. the affect isn't, is, it's always going to flow from what the root causes are. Yeah. Well, it, it's crazy to me that 30 or 40 congressmen 
can basically run Congress at this point. But and as I'm not I pointed about out, the, the, I'm right. not talking about the the so-called uh, you know the so-called insiders, the so- fat cats. Yeah, the fat cats. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. So you have like these these thirty or forty guys who are who are pretty new in Congress. You know, they they haven't really cut their teeth on much. And it is funny that the main thing they want to do is end the filibuster because they hate the fact yeah. that 40 senators can upend the will of the 60. So these yeah. 40 representatives are trying to upend the rule of the 200 other Republicans <laughs> in the House. That's their fix. Yeah. No, but I understand the frustration. I think Ted Cruz is actually ideologically pure. But I think life and uh, being an adult isn't about purity, right? It's not about purity of yeah. vision. It's about, among other things, working and getting along and picking yeah. hills to die on. Yeah, and and I've had this conversation with a number of people. Is there just no such thing as negotiating? It's the only tool in our tool belt these days is if we don't 100% get our way, walk away from the table. It's like right. that's a, that's not much of a strategy. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I guess the Tea Party would say we've already negotiated. Like w- the fact that Planned Parenthood is funded to the extent it is for things other than abortions, which yeah. I'm sure they disagree with. By the way, remember the time when it was like Tea Party, they're not really a religious party. I know they're you I know, know they're not exactly yeah. perfectly religious, but there's a huge overlap between the family values yeah. crowd and the Tea Party crowd. But anyway, they'd say we're living in a state of compromise. And after a while, if you compromise with a compromise with a compromise it's just called giving up yeah but i just think they're wrong my point is i think they're wrong not in general i think they're wrong on wrong the issues. about what i think on that, the issue okay yeah i think that you know if i were first of all i like to empathize i like to put myself in the uh not just for strategic purposes so take the issue of an abortion where i'm pro-choice okay but i understand that someone who is against abortion thinks of it exactly as infanticide. Change the word from abortion Mm -hmm. to infanticide. Then you'll never say something like, I believe in a woman's right to choose. To choose what? Infanticide? (laughs) So I understand. Should they start using that term? Who? Would that be a good strategy? Pre-infanticide? It probably (laughs) would be. You know, what we're talking about. Well, they say baby killers, so. Yeah. But the point is, so if you're the Tea Party and you're like, we are doing business, we are giving funds to this large Mm-hmm. infanticide provider and sure maybe they maybe they help uh you know maybe they help give s- breast cancer screenings to poor people but can't we find another way to do it so i understand yeah. the tea party's position on that i disagree with it and there here's john boehner others of his ilk but he's the big one who says yeah i totally agree with you but what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna allow the infanticide machine to continue like you'd hate him you'd probably yeah. hate him more than the people like me who are yeah. pro-choice so i understand the dysfunction i really do i guess people can probably figure this out from our conversation so far you started at npr yes <laughs> um so after 10 years at npr you left for slate magazine mm-hmm. uh about a year and a half ago to start your show, The Gist. How has that transition been for you? Because you don't seem like an NPR kind of guy. It's true. And when I was at NPR, <laughs> first of all, like... No soft voice. Yes, no snow hushed tones drawing you in. As the gravel was under her footsteps, she realized that the buffalo would never rehabilitate. Um, I'm about to cry. Yeah. <laughs> or get uh, turned on. I don't know. <laughs> right. Or buy a tote bag or something. So, yeah, at NPR, I was definitely viewed as a spicy salsa that you don't want to eat with every meal. But I did sports for a number of years. And, you know, if you're people at NPR, 
know what good broadcasting is and they know that if they don't do anything to stop it, their shows will just be filled up with serious people talking about serious issues. So I was very yeah. valued as, as a sports reporter who talked in a different way, who said funny things, who made analogies, who made sports a little bit interesting. And for a couple years, for five years, I've been doing a show with Slate called Hang Up and Listen, a sports show. And Andy Bowers, who runs all of the Slate podcasts, lured me, kept saying we could do a daily show. I'm like, I really believe you could do a daily show. I, I like what I'm doing at NPR. Like I have these, I like politics. Before I did sports, I covered politics. I covered the Kerry campaign. I, cover, I, w I went to the conventions. You know, and I'm definitely yeah, plugged in. Yeah, you're pretty eclectic. Yeah, exactly. I like culture. I like talking about things other than sports. I'm often asked to guest host other shows where I interview actors or or politicians. Um, and I like that. I like having the broad range. So some of the bad things for me with NPR was the, the hushed, dulcet thing. But also, <laughs> hey, you're a sports guy. That's your niche. I didn't think that NPR was particularly valuing me or was really, you know, aggressive and expansive in defining what their shows could be. Andy yeah. at Slate was saying it could be whatever you want. It could be on the news. You could riff on the news. It was really, really interesting. For years, I resisted it because I liked my job. People would say, you get to go to the World Series and the Super Bowl for NPR. That's kind of a dream job. It kind of is. But then finally, about a year and a half ago, I took the leap and I said, we could do it. And it's been going great. The transition is great. It calls upon me to think of an idea. Like I said, every day I do a spiel. It's seven minutes long. It's essentially an op-ed a day. And there's no op-ed yeah. writer in America. There are bloggers. But, you know, who does an op-ed a day? So it forced me to think a lot to maybe have, you know, in the past, if I said, oh, I won, that might be true, but I won't pursue it. I won't interrogate that feeling I have internally. Now I'm like, okay, I got to work this out. I got to put that down. I got to read it into a microphone. But I find it very interesting and very exciting. Yeah, it's got to be a lot of pressure doing a show every day like that. Yeah, we have. I have a great producer named Andrea Salenzi. We book a lot of guests. So every day I start off with one segment where it's, you know, two or three minutes. I view it like, I guess the closest, anal closest analogy is it's not a monologue. It's like when Colbert, after he does his monologue, if you've watched the CBS show, he mm -hmm. sits down and does a desk piece. Yeah. So it's a few jokes or a few observations about something in the news. It's usually jokey, but you know, I've also on a, if it's one of those days after one of these mass shootings, I'll start off a yeah. little depressed as I think the news warrants and you know, kind of hopefully say something a little um, pithy and with meaning. And then we go on to the show. I have one or two interviews, either a long one or two medium ones. You know, so either a. 15-minute interview to seven-minute interviews, and then I do my spiel. People get out of there in 25 minutes. I respect people's time. The average commute is 25 minutes. That's why I try to make it 20-ish minutes. Yeah, well, that's perfect. Yeah, you got to keep it within the, 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 what is it they say? The perfect podcast is 25 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes. You know, you know when you it's, get- It's the average workout or drive time. You listen to so many podcasts, yeah. and you get one, and it's like, you see that like one hour, 43-minute time yeah. signature. Like, oh my God, how do I even crack this? Well, yeah, well, that's just using up memory on my phone. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. All the comedy ones, right? All the free yeah. comic explorations. That's great, guys. Maybe edit yeah, it and why, give me the funny yeah, why parts. Why is it that all the, all the comedian podcasts are so long? <sighs> it's a little self-indulgent. I mean, I do listen to uh, Gilbert Godfrey, and his is a yeah. long one, but I always love that. He's always a lot of fun. He's great. Well, you mentioned that you do, uh, you know, kind of- Past just guests, by the way, and our kids go to school What's together. That? Gilbert and I, Gilbert's a past just guest, and our kids go to school together. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, was he was he a good guest? He's a great guest. Fun. Turned oh. it on. We talked about all the bird roles he's played. Very good. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, because he's done the he's the Affleck duck. He was he was the duck. goose in something Jack and the Beanstalk or something. Yep, and yeah. he was Jafar's bird in oh, that's right. Aladdin, the bird, of course. And he's yeah. this like space bird in a PBS show called Cyber Chase. Wow. He's played a bird a lot. 
I don't know what Get that me says a about Gilbert him. Gottfried type. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and that's pretty. Yeah, that's what that's what Affleck said when they fired him. They said they they basically auditioned for someone to be exactly like Gilbert right. Gottfried to and replace him. Like, Affleck without the <laughs> offensive jokes about the tsunami. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to take a quick break here, and then I'll be back to talk more with Mike Pesca, host of The Gist. This portion of the podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible has over 180,000 audiobooks available to download for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And right now, Kick-Ass Politics listeners can get a free audiobook download and a free 30-day trial. Just go to audibletrial.com backslash kickasspolitics. Or click on the sponsor link on our webpage at kickasspolitics.com and go get your free audiobook. And if you like Kick-Ass Politics and want to help keep us on the air, then please support the show by making a donation to our GoFundMe campaign at gofundme.com backslash kickasspolitics. Or go to the show website and click on the donate link. Your support will help keep us producing new and interesting programs in the future. That's gofundme.com backslash kickasspolitics. And now, back to the show. We're back, and I'm talking with Mike Pesca, host of Slate's The Gist podcast. You mentioned that you do your spiel, which is basically kind of, I guess, you know, some people would say it's a rant or it's an op-ed or whatever, right. whatever's sticking in your craw right. on that particular day. I, I'm sure you get this a lot, but do people ever ask you, have you always been this opinionated? Yeah, but I try to, okay. When you're listening to one person spiel or rant or whatever, it's hard not to feel like you're being assaulted. But <laughs> I maybe I'm deluded, but I really try to be open-minded. And yeah. I also like to lay out my thought process and show the work. So I actually don't think my first mode is like first have an opinion. I actually ask more questions than I have an opinion. But then when, but it's also really satisfying. I mean, people want to hear i mean op-eds do a few things they can raise questions they could reframe an issue but sometimes it's really satisfying just to be like i wish i'd said that <laughs> just to say the thing that people yeah. are thinking so after the oregon shooting i just took a bunch of clips from different politicians you know making the regular kind of excuses mm -hmm. and i said now use these counter arguments in any social setting so you hear ricky uh ricky rubio listen to that he's the point guard on the on the timberwolves yeah. you hear marco rubio <laughs> saying you know, once we uh, the problem with passing gun laws are that once we pass those gun law, criminals don't respect gun laws. So there's no point in passing right. gun laws because criminals don't respect them. And I said that is a great argument, not against gun laws. That's a great argument against laws. Why ban anything? <laughs> criminals don't respect. In fact, isn't that the definition of criminalization? <laughs> if you keep doing it, you are a criminal. Yeah. So what do you think? It doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make no. They shouldn't ban all. No, no. Definitely. Are there any laws that you want you would you wouldn't mind banning? Are there laws I wouldn't mind? Wouldn't banning? mind getting rid of or, or just ignoring any law? Yeah, definitely. I think I think we were talking about California and Texas, but I go to California and I did a winery tour, and they have like all these warnings about 
the copper in the bowl could kill you or, you know, all these uh -huh. things that come on. Simple common sense says you don't have to have that warning up. Yeah. Sure, there are definitely this is yeah. I did a rant on this. People, you know, who talk about regulation, which do away with regulation. No, let's do away with the bad regulation. The good <laughs> regulation, we don't even call regulation. I guess it's a it's regulation. Just sense. Well, no, it's a regulation against murder. Yeah. That's regulated, <laughs> isn't it? We don't allow stabbing to happen. Yeah. So we want the stab. But okay, even the even the regular laws, you know, when you build a deck, when a commercial company, I live in New York, they have scaffolding on every third street. You have to build yeah. it to code. I like code. I don't like ownership code i don't like dumb code and i even gave democratic politicians advice i said you can show your credentials by saying this and saying here are three regulations that aren't it's it, it had nothing to do with me trying to promote um um solar energy just these are just three dumb regulations that we could get rid of so that people can make more money a politician huh. should do that Right. Interesting. That yeah. might be a good bargaining chip if you were a Democrat politician. So you're saying, you know, there are some things that admittedly everyone, you know, even private, at least privately, a Democrat politician could say, OK, this is kind of stupid. But because they're afraid of, uh, you know, reducing government in any way, perhaps you're maybe offending they, a labor union. Oh yeah, offending yeah. a labor union. Maybe if they were to give on this a little bit, then mm -hmm. uh, and to, get a and little to, bit of goodwill. And to signal that you're doing it shows doesn't that burnish your credentials as someone who's not against regulation just against dumb regulation yeah yeah i don't think we yeah. should in the last debate was it was it christie talked about cutting the law we cut we cut this many laws and that many laws that alone means nothing doesn't yeah. it matter the quality of the laws you cut yeah. the fact that that could get applause well i guess it speaks to the frustration people have but it doesn't say anything great you cut a law were there were they laws that we needed to protect us yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like we don't need a law to, to tell us that we don't put our, our babies in the dryer or something. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, there's certain things that are just common sense. Um, interesting. So, uh, okay. So, so I guess, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Does that ever happen to you on a podcast? Yeah, but I stopped. Does that ever start. drive you crazy? You must, nah, be, you must right. have gotten past that by now. Only when you're with like a guest you don't want to do Only that. when I'm starstruck like I am <laughs> exactly, right now, you right. know. Like you said, at NPR, you've kind of covered the gamut. You covered mm -hmm. uh, news, sports, economics, culture, art, gambling. You had, you had a whole show on gambling. on gambling. How, how, did you, how did you land on that? Basically, when podcasts were invented, yeah. They, I said, hey, let me do, let me, I quickly said, what are they good for? Niche. They're good for a lot of things, but you yeah. can really talk to a specific niche. Yeah. This was a subject I, I knew a lot about. Before I worked for NPR, I started, a re, a friends of mine and colleagues of mine tried to start a magazine called Jack, which was Jack, Ace, Queen, King, which is a gambling magazine, okay. a lifestyle men's magazine based on risk and reward. So yeah. I knew a lot about gambling. I would always report on that. I'm like, I, I could do a podcast every week about that. Okay. So, But it was it was not, hey, here's who to bet in the Louisiana State game. It was more like oh, I'd okay. interview John Daly about his slot machine habits. Or huh. this was when my then wife and I, she was pregnant and we'd go and we'd they'd give us the odds of mm -hmm. in vitro testing. And the, the way they presented them were all wrong. I'm like, let me tell you what the real odds are. So I would like redo the odds for real life things. Just things that are more accessible to the non-addicted gambler. So you have to bring them along a little bit and try to teach yeah. them a little bit, not alienate anyone. Well, where do you fall on uh, the whole online gambling thing these days? Yeah, well, this uh, DraftKings and FanDuel, by the way, you, you know, if you do this business of ours, you probably take played ads from one of those two. And I know I have, but I put up 
pause on that. I press the pause button on doing those ads until we figure out what those two companies are up to with, you know, the insider trading. I think that online poker could work. I, I, I want this is why I want the government involved, actually, so okay. it can be regulated. It's okay. a great example. It ties it back. When it was unregulated, when it was offshore, there were all these scandals. When was the yeah. last time there was an actual gambling cheating scandal in Las Vegas that wasn't someone trying to cheat the casino? Like Right. Right? So right. in fact, sports leagues Vegas, because they have a regulated industry, will see a weird movement on a line and they will they will notify college basketball is when it, there's an actual example that happened and said there's some weird gambling patterns going on they investigated and they found out some games were being thrown so i think if these are real legitimate businesses brought into the tent taxed and regulated it's better for everyone and people are going to do it anyway unregulated and then who makes the money some you know offshore antigua corporation and yeah. then people get screwed in the process too well yeah and sheldon adelson the, the guy who one of the richest men in america who owns the venetian He's spending millions of dollars to try and combat uh, proposed legislation for online gambling. Right. And he say, he's saying that people should, it's immoral. People shouldn't be able to gamble in their homes. It just makes it too easy, too accessible. Right. Is that a little bit hypocritical or a lot, <laughs> maybe a lot hypocritical? You should not be able to gamble any place that you are not within 40 feet of a fake canal. <laughs> that is his but some of the other vegas people i probably because i forgot if it's steve Wynn, but probably because they have interests elsewhere oppose adelson on that yeah but mostly the vegas well, if well they atlantic have, city somehow is counting on this to rescue atlantic uh, city which sounds like the craziest idea yeah to me. christy i, I mean it's been that. banned christy has tried to get legal gambling it would help a little but you know, legalized gambling has proved to be fool's gold. I mean, you could get mm -hmm. – there was this recent trend of all these states legalizing gambling. It'll help our budget. It helps for a little while. Then the, your neighbor state sees what it does, and the third state sees what it yeah. does, and then your state is a very small part of the pie. Yeah. I'm not against legal gambling at all, but come on. Don't sell it as a solution to profligate spending or bad management of yeah. state coffers. So you covered gambling. You covered all, this, all these different topics when you were at NPR. Since you've moved to Slate, have you found yourself – Either either naturally or feeling pressured to be more political by virtue of the no, audience. I've always been this political, and the analogy mm -hmm. I make is I always like sports and politics. When my job was sports, I would consume a lot of it and read a lot of it and kind of tell myself, "Oh, this is what I'd be doing otherwise." But you know what? It's not true. Like I think last night was the WNBA finals, and I don't know who won. Now, if I was covering sports for NPR, I'd make it a point to know who won. And I tell myself, oh, this is what I would do otherwise, right? <laughs> and if I was not, if I was a sports reporter, I would know that the Democratic debate was next week. But if you ask me, will Oma O'Malley, Webb, and Chafee be in it? I might say, you know, I don't know. Will they be in it? But now I know they will. So yeah, and you just you just naturally more you have a you're lot just, of interests and then if it's also your yeah. job you go a little bit deeper so you're yeah you're in tune i mean how much how much time do you spend reading the news in the a morning lot. before you do a podcast yeah i drop off my son at school i take the hard has to be an actual physical newspaper mm. um i work out or I do like the <laughs> do the uh do the elliptical machine for a half hour 40 minutes and that's a good amount of reading and germinating time. I make a list for myself of things I could talk about on the show. Before I did the show, I wondered, will I be able to get to a topic or two topics every day? And it's more than yeah. that. So I think of three or four. Some are bad. That's why I don't do them. Some that <laughs> are bad. And yeah, I've been able to generate in my brain yeah. as much content as I need. I well, wondered if I could, and I can't. 
Yeah, I know you clearly can. And it's one of the most popular shows out there. You know, earlier in the week, uh, I don't know if this was a spiel or is just an opener for your podcast. You have a problem with Starbucks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's really a big problem for you because <laughs> they forgot part of your order. Yes. And when you went back, mm-hmm. they refused to fix it because you didn't have your receipt. So you I got now I got two wraps. And a biscuit, yeah. and they didn't give me my biscuit in the bag. So I went back. I'm like, guys, you didn't give me my biscuit. And mm-hmm. I expected them to say, well, we can't give you a refund without a receipt. And I say, I understand that. You can just yeah. give me the biscuit. My kids are here. They're, yeah. sure they're-, they're like, no. I'm like, what do you mean? What do you think this is? They thought this- you were trying to hustle them? Yeah, this is a hustle. This is my game. <laughs> You're a grifter. Yeah, I'm playing the long game. So anyway, I announced that uh, my next $500 of coffee spend expenditure will be at places other than Starbucks. And I didn't want to be, you know, I don't want to be too indulgent. I only spent a few minutes on this. And it wasn't a call to arms. I didn't ask others to join me. But so far, it's okay. been about a week, about $40 in. I'll get Is to 500 hurting? Not at all. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you noticed this. There's a lot of coffee alternatives yeah. besides Starbucks. And I like Starbucks. Yeah. Um, I will say that the Starbucks PR people or whatever, their team tw- tweeted me and say, how can we make this right? Oh, but I, I haven't responded. I haven't responded because I made this commitment really? and I'm going to follow through. The oh, record. there's no negotiation. What are you going to ask for? So, well, after <laughs> the 500 is done and All I showed power. that I could do it, I'd like my biscuit. <laughs> That's it. Just give me my biscuit. Uh, <laughs> I think that they should name a uh, name a, a, a drink after you. Yeah, but then no I one think would that's know the, the least side. Like, right. A venti is 20. A pesco. What's that? That's 18? Okay. A pesca. I think a pesca. Oh, yeah. That's how, that kind of has a nice ring to it. It's it means Italian. peach in Italian. Yeah. Oh, there could be a pesca. If there's a pumpkin latte, there could be a pesca Oh, there latte. you go. So, okay. So, why why only $500? You didn't want to do a permanent ban? I'm not. I mean, I'm okay, not, you don't hold I'm a, not a martyr here. Okay. You know, I don't need to <laughs> cut off my nose to spite my yeah. caffeine intake. <laughs> Anything else sticking in your craw these days? What's got your gut? Yeah, yeah aside from Congress and here's something the, the speaker. I just, here's something I just wrote down. There are phrases, I talk a lot about words, and I don't like when people, this is not their fault, but you ask a waiter and they'll say, no problem. Hey, can I have some water? No problem. Why are you injecting problems into this transaction? <laughs> Whether it is a problem or not, like, why would it be a problem? Why do I have to yeah. think if it's a problem? Yeah, yeah. I totally understand it. It's <laughs> the exact equivalent of yes, sir, but yes is a better answer than no problem. And I was just in uh, Montenegro, and what they say is, of course, Oh, of course, yeah, it's like so that. much better than no problem. Well, it's like when you go to places like Germany, instead of you're welcome, they say, please, yeah, please, yeah, be my guest. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I like that. Well, yeah, because no problem think- implies, you know, people are paranoid. People, yeah. you know, p- passive aggressive and all that, that. That makes people suddenly start assuming that maybe there might be a problem. Yeah. Oh, there's no, okay, there's no problem with nice. that. Good. Woo. Yeah. Now I was worried. Or the next thing, the butter. What if there's a problem? I don't know. I can't ask for three things. Eventually, <laughs> there's going to be a problem. Yeah. If there's a pro- this had nothing to do with our transaction. Well, before we go, you're the son of a Catholic and a Jew. That's true. And I think, uh, what, was the, what was the phrase that you say? You're Catholic-ish or something? <laughs> like that catholic <laughs> a little bit yeah um do you suffer more from catholic guilt or jewish guilt i don't have guilt i don't no i, I guilt. don't does that make you a sociopath no i know <laughs> i just keep myself in check but guilt's not okay. guilt's are not a main part of my comportment i'm not an anxious person i have mm. i think i have a condition called an andamide i think it's pronounced it's, it was written up as the happiness gene but i just don't i'm i'm, I'm a little scattered I am not, I don't have great attention to detail. My girlfriend does. We make an excellent team. But I have, I'm generally, so they said the three things about her, very low anxiety, tend to overeat. It is true. When I start to eat and I keep going and uh, do not like the effects of marijuana. And that is also true. Like I have all three. 
I thought I might I have. Some I might too. have that too. You don't? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are you? You're not I, an anxious person in general? Uh, you know, uh, almost to a fault. I, I have. To I have fault, too many right. people who are saying, "Why aren't you worried about this? Right. You know, why aren't what you worried about you? this parking ticket?" If you <laughs> can't like do that. anything about yeah. it, what's the point? And anxious yeah. people say, "Well, it's not about that. I can't help it." Like. I guess I can't help it either, but on the other side, you're the same way. Well, that's yeah. why we do podcasts. <laughs> Is that why we do podcasts? I think so because you. It I seems know you like know why you be. do. I don't know why I. Well, am. it seems it started like, as a hobby. Okay, that's it. The very first, instead of saying, "What about all those things that could go wrong?" Yeah, you said to yourself that. Seems like fun, and I'm sure I'll figure it out along the way. And if it doesn't work, no big deal. So it, yeah. it does seem like a general. That's when that mirrors how I start the first podcast I did on gambling. Instead of thinking about all the stuff that could go wrong, I thought about the stuff that could go right, and you told yourself, "Then I'll figure it out." I yeah. think that's. I think it's anandamide. Well, anandamide. you seem. Yeah, you definitely seem to be figuring it out. You're doing fantastic. Uh, the show is called The Gist. From Slate Magazine and Mike Pesca. Mike, thank you for coming on my podcast. And uh, thank you for, I guess, putting me inadvertently on your podcast. <laughs> You're welcome and thank you. Well, thanks again to Mike Pesca for taking time from the gist to come over on my show. And thanks to the folks over at Politicon for hosting our interview. You can check out Mike's podcast, The Gist, from Slate Magazine on iTunes or go to slate.com. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave us a review. And don't forget to go on our website or click on the survey link in the show notes to take that listener questionnaire for me. I really want to get a feel for who our audience is. And if you just take a minute to fill that out, that'll be a huge help to me. If you like what I'm doing here, then I hope you'll support Kick-Ass Politics by making a donation on the website or go to gofundme.com backslash kickasspolitics. Because starting last week, we're now ramping up to two podcasts a week, but that also means it's costing twice as much, most of which comes out of my pocket, to be honest, and I'm happy to do the show because I enjoy this. But if you want to pitch in, that's always greatly appreciated and really shows me that you value the effort that I put into this every week. So if you want to help out, you can donate on the website or go to gofundme.com backslash kickasspolitics. And as always, I welcome your comments, questions, gripes, and suggestions at comments at kickasspolitics.com. In the next episode, I'll talk with former Republican presidential candidate and Congresswoman Michelle Bachman. And she's got a lot to say about the nuclear deal with Iran, the Tea Party, Syria, the president, and the Republican candidates in 2016. So you don't want to miss it coming up in the next podcast. But for now, I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kick-Ass Politics. This podcast may not be reproduced without express written permission. Kick-Ass Politics is a trademark of Mathis Entertainment, Inc.